We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And tonight, the Lakers play the New Orleans Pelicans in the semifinals of the in-season tournament in Las Vegas. Excited about that. We're going to preview that in a bit. Uh, But, D, we had the quarterfinal game, the first game of the knockout round. Lakers beat the Suns 106-103. You weren't on yesterday's pod, and I thought it was kind of a a seminal game for this Lakers team in terms of it had— more guys available and just kind of started to coalesce around like, hey, this is what it was supposed to be type of thing. So I just love to hear your thoughts, not just about that game contained within that game, but just kind of like what you saw from the team that you think applies going forward, including into tonight's game. Well, this is like a carryover for me from the conversations we had a couple of pods ago about how the nature of the team's injuries revealed other things about the team. And then as these guys started to trickle back into the lineup, um, Cam and Vando at first, and then Rui right after that, you started to see how all of these pieces come together. And I listened to you and Mike talk yesterday, and I thought Mike's comments about him talking to Vanderbilt and Vanderbilt sort of being like, yeah, like this is sort of the stuff we wanted to get to and the mm-hmm. stuff we were talking about in camp and preseason and Hearing LeBron and AD, if not linger on these ideas and like come back to them fairly consistently about like calling out like when we get to our switching group and our switching lineup and making real reference points to these ideas as um, if not foundational parts of their identity, then at least change up ideas to their standard stuff that they really do want to incorporate and do want to get to, you see how a team with, even without Gabe, multiple point of attack defenders and multiple sort of big forwardy type of guys that um, can guard in between the two and four positions pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. And And then you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James on top of that, right? And so if you take LeBron and AD out of this equation and you just talk about Cam and Prince who are starting, 
right? And I heard your guys' talk about mm-hmm. like them being the starting group, right? Um, so Cam and Prince, and then on top of that, Max and Vando, and then Rui, mm-hmm. and then Hayes. So that's four sort of two, three dudes, mm-hmm. right? Rui, who is more like a four, three to me, and mm-hmm. Hayes, who is a five. That's six players who are all pretty good athletes. And Prince might be the worst athlete out mm-hmm. of all of those dudes, mm-hmm. right? And even he's got some lateral movement yeah, ability. Yeah, he's fast. He's and got burst. Yeah. The thing I would say about Prince, and we don't talk about enough about Prince, is that he's very coordinated, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, he does all these Euro steps and yep. sidestep stuff offensively, and that stuff shows up defensively as well, where he's able to track very well, even mm-hmm. if physicality will knock him off of his spot at times. And so he gets screened and he's probably the worst at getting screened out of all of the like defensive guards, but he's rangy enough and coordinated enough to get back in to the play. And so if he's your worst of all of those dudes mm-hmm. and you've just got all of this athleticism and Darwin, I thought in the last game was just like, all right, well, Here's Cameron Prince. Oh, well, here's Vando and Max. And then, and it's always backed by some version of LeBron, Rui, AD, and Hayes. And it's just yep. a lot of athlete. It's just a lot of guys who run fast and jump high yep. and like get, get to the ball and are like, and then he's like, go be aggressive on top of that. Like the traps they were throwing at Booker and even LeBron getting in the mix with this. Mm-hmm. I thought, I don't know if it was you or Mike that made this comment, but when you throw these guys in with AD and LeBron, AD and LeBron don't then take their foot off the gas and be like, oh, you guys got it. They're like, their competitive nature kicks in and they're just like, we can do this too. And they ramp up and it's just like, oh my goodness, these guys are unbelievable. Well, they're kind of the the kings of the supreme athletes, right? In terms of <laughs> yes, that yes. style of player, right? They're the very best. And I think that that has kind of an inspiring effect going both ways, right? Like when a Cam Reddish looks at a LeBron James and an Anthony Davis, like they're, it's cut from similar cloth athletically, right? And, and then when... LeBron and AD see those types of guys, it it invigorates them, I think, in a, va- in a way that you're very, very much on the right track with. And so you, in the setup to your question, you took LeBron and AD out of the equation and just said, even if you don't account for those guys, there's a lot of size and athleticism. But then when you throw them into that, then you really have something to work with there. And to kick this just a little bit to tonight's game, I feel like that's kind of New Orleans's build as well. They're very Me rangy. Uh, that is very much the build that they've gone for. Uh, Dyson Daniels is a, a long range guard that's uh, one of the best uh, deflection guys in the league right now. They got Herb Jones and Trey Murphy on the wing. Uh, and then you've got those superstars with size, right? Or those those stars with size and athleticism in Zion and B.I. And so I'm excited about tonight's game in part because I want to see how we match up with them. Now, the big glaring weakness or difference is we have Anthony Davis in the middle and they don't really have a five that's like a rim protector that's legitimately a five. Um, and so I'm curious to see how we we leverage that advantage. But yeah, just in the context of, of all of that, this is kind of a trend that some of the teams in both conferences really like Minnesota is kind of a similar team and like, oh, we're going actually bigger in this 
this era uh, and starting to size up with rangier wings and rangier guards that can get deflections and things like that. So just curious your thoughts on that, man. I feel like this what we're talking about with the Lakers is somewhat of a trend around the league nowadays. Everyone's always looking for the bigger player who is a skilled guy or even has shown a proclivity to like protect the paint defensively and be able to score in the paint. When Greg Oden got drafted number one overall over Kevin Durant, there were some people that were lobbying for Kevin Durant, but it wasn't this out of the question thing that you Mm -hmm. would take the potentially great dominant big man over the sort of skinny, rangy wing who flashes all of this offensive shooting potential, right? And so this isn't um, a new idea, like who was the guy that just went number one overall this past season, right? It's like the unicorn of all unicorns, but would people be fawning over Wembenyama if he was even like 6'10", like the way that they are, that he's 7'5". Like they would, of course, don't get Mm -hmm. me wrong. But the fact that he's like as big as he is and has the defensive potential that he does, that is like the -the over-the-top idea. And so I do think that the league has always been a league about big men. I think this is like an OG Bob Ryan idea, but he's just like, oh, who are the best players in the like in league's history? And he sort of puts the big men off to the side. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, like the league is dominated by big men. And so if you actually want to talk about the best players who ever played, it's probably a list that starts like people will talk about Jordan and LeBron and those guys. But in reality, the players who have dominated the league are the Russells, the Chamberlains, the Abdul Jabbar's of the world. Right. Mm -hmm. They're like stack up their rings again in any era. And it started with Mikan. And it's just like that's what the league is. And so I'm. I'm totally on board with the idea of like the big man is back. Like the last MVPs have been big guys, like whatever you classify Giannis as, like he's he's another one of of those dudes. So what the last six MVPs have all gone to dudes just like this. And 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 so those ideas will always be there on the wing, too. Right. And, And so I'm what interests me about the Lakers and you guys hit on this some in the Suns game. But the Lakers wings, what they've done is actually loaded up on defensive wings. Mm -hmm. And their offensive players are still their guards. And then LeBron and AD, who Mm -hmm. are the singular sort of like whatever LeBron is, who is unreal. You guys said this the last pod, but I just want to say it again. He's unreal. And then Anthony Davis, who is also this player who is I and you're talk about one level scoring and like inside play and paint play and that's a bigger topic mm-hmm. but even his ability to be like oh yep 27 points mm-hmm. right it's just like there's not a lot of guys who are getting you 27 points just by dominating the paint and on free throws like Jokic and Embiid are getting you 27 to 30 points but they're incorporating the three-point shot yep. into their game and Embiid goes to the foul line a ton mm-hmm. And so AD getting the points that he does in the manner that that he does is is super interesting. But the Lakers are like, hey, yeah, we've got Jared Vanderbilt and Cam Reddish and Torian Prince and Max Christie. These aren't your scoring guys. In fact, like they may not all average combined what LeBron averages by himself. So where's your head at around like we often talk about the dominant apex predator like two way wing, right? But 
The Lakers are, I think their build is interesting in that they have said, we're trying to find antidotes to those dudes defensively, while offensively we rely on like our one or two skill guards and LeBron James and Anthony Davis being great and unstoppable in a part of the game that is still the most important, which is the paint and the fourth quarter. So why don't we go to break here and I'd love to hear your thoughts about some of that. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think what you're talking about, D, is sort of a return to the D and three model that we had in the 2020 season, with the exception of there being that skill, skill guard out there as well. And we had a interesting chat right before the pod about the importance of those skill guards and the dependability of them that we may or may not get into in today's pod, but certainly will in the, in the near future. And and so that's really the one big difference, whereas on the 2020 team, Rondo was sort of the singular ball handler that I wouldn't necessarily characterize as a skill guard in the same way, but he is an on-ball dominant player in a way that took control of groups, especially come playoff time, right? And so you have these two ball dominant guys in LeBron and Rondo that can cover your 48 minutes of you go here, you go there and kind of organize your team. This this group's a little bit different, and the D and three guys, and this is where I want to kind of flip it to the context of this New Orleans game and why I'm so intrigued by it. The D and three guys are also a little bit different than that 2020 team in that they skew a, a little more athletic. I think um, yes, they have a little more ball handling. Um, they're whereas all, the the 2020 guys, I think, were more like cerebral. Uh, organized basketball players, right? And that is something that you do yes. need to be organized for us to be able to get to the levels that we want to get to. But I think this is more of a an athletic, helter-skelter type of group where the size is more out on the perimeter. They were, but it's just like the point that you're making, I think, is important because when you look at like a Danny Green 
and a KCP for for example. Right. Green was like a very sturdy player and KCP was a very darting and quick player, but their functionality within lineups was much more of a like paint by numbers. I always loved mm-hmm. how Danny Green could be like this weak side, like helping big sort of guard and KCP could be the lock and trail, get mm-hmm. it over screens, somewhat point of attack guy. And Alex Caruso was like this mix of both where he could be right. on the ball, he could lock and trail, but he was also very good in in help situations. But they were much more of a like, like we thrive in structure and Torian Prince, I think, matches that idea best within this group. But Cam and Vando, and I think Max matches that idea too, but Cam and Vando are much more like chaos engine Mm -hmm. players. And Cam, especially as an offensive player, none of these guys are natural shooters. None of them are like movement guys. Like Prince can do that some, but he hasn't lived up to that reputation yet, although he started to find his jumper a little bit more in the last 10 days or so. but. The idea of like, oh, well, we're actually more ball handling types or we're more guys who are going to like attack, attack, attack. Whereas Green and KCP were more like, for real, just put Mm -hmm. me in the corner. I'm going to drift into the open spot. I'm going to take the open three. I can like pump and go a little bit, but I'm basically here to move the ball or shoot the open three Mm -hmm. and not much else in between. Meanwhile, Cam is just like, well, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to rip and run here. Like I'm going to, I'm going to like go around this screen and I'm going to get downhill really quick and try to attack the basket. And there's much more like unpredictability mm-hmm. with like this group of players. And it's interesting to see how that fits into like the bigger structure, like of the group. And I'm interested to see how that chaos sort of yeah. matches up against like what new Orleans wants to do because they feel like a very structured team, but then Zion is their chaos yeah. engine, I feel like. Very much so. And they have a couple of different groups uh, around Zion. And one of them is very much a point Zion type of build um, where the offense really runs through him, particularly when he's at that five spot. And so that is something that I think this Lakers team very much has a championship defense uh, and, but I think its biggest weakness are teams that run their offense through their five spot, because I think it kind of like neutralizes AD as a help defender and kind of keeps him on a, you actually got to guard the ball type of thing. And so I'd, I'd love to start there. They've got two big ball handlers as their main guys between Zion and BI. It's easy to, to view Zion through, oh, he's this big athlete. You know, he goes down in the post and can dominate. He doesn't really do a lot in the post. And what he does, he's not super efficient at that, but he really likes being at the top of the key, acting as a point guard and kind of playing that way. B.I. is a similar player as well. We saw last year Vando give B.I. some issues with his size as well, right? But I don't think Vando's going to be starting. This is another game, D, where I'm like worried about the first six minutes of the first and third quarters because I don't think our starting lineup is quite there. And so let's let's start there, though. A team that has two big ball handlers uh, initiating offense. How does that reflect against this Lakers defense? So I'm going to kick it back to you really quickly because this is a game where the Pelicans are a bulky team in their four and five that's right and then bi is a rangy player although i was super interested in how much bully ball he played in the in the king's their quarterfinal Mm -hmm. game yes like he was just 
kicking Keegan Murray's butt, like up and down the court. He was just bullying him. And then B.I. had this great two-handed rebound over the top, offensive rebound, like over the top of Sabonis, where then he like pump faked and took it back up and got fouled. And I was just like, ooh, yeah, oh, damn. Yeah. This is at another level, right? And, and so normally LeBron has defended Zion pretty well because LeBron is one of those dudes where it's just like – you're not stronger than me. Like you really have to be center sized and really like take it right to LeBron's chest to be like, Oh, you're stronger than me. And Zion's a big, strong dude, but LeBron's the original of that. Mm -hmm. And he's even bigger than Zion in his own way. Like he's taller, but still sturdy. And so you talked about like the Zion at center lineups and how that could potentially like occupy AD, but New Orleans doesn't start that way. They pay a, they play a big Mm -hmm. bruising, big man yep. in Valanchunas, and then they compliment him with Zion, who is a very quick twitch burst player who wants to get downhill as well at the four. And so how do you see those specific matchups for LeBron and AD? And do you agree that it should be LeBron on Zion, even though LeBron typically hasn't wanted to defend that guy as the primary guy to start games? Yeah, that's the big challenge at the four five spot in uh, with Zion and Valanchunas is that when LeBron gets matched up with Valanchunas, he doesn't really want to do that either, right? And from the perspective <laughs> yeah. of all the wrestling with the grizzly bear um, that that goes along with that. And so this is precisely why I'm so intrigued by this game is that I think that they press on a couple of our potential weaknesses and they are similar to us in that, for example, their approach to that Kings game, which is one that I would love to see us apply to the Kings if when we play them again, we're 0-2 against them. But they were like, we're bigger than you and we're just going to bully you, of which like you're just going to run out of guys that have similar athletic gifts. Like that Murray versus B.I. matchup, like that's exactly how B.I. should attack him, right? Is he is a, yeah. a bigger, more, which is funny. We remember B.I. as the skinny teenager, right? But no, he's he's very much filled out and knows how to use his size and length. And so that's something that I would love to see the Lakers do next time they play Sacramento. But that's a very, it's hard to beat the Lakers in that way, unless you can go right at Anthony Davis. And so the degree to which, how much do they run their offense through Valanciunas to start out with, right? Do they, you know, look look to do that? But that sort of, I would, what I want to see is to what degree do we pressure them? Right. So this is the thing that I think is challenging to us about teams that initiate from bigger positions as opposed to their guards. So meaning like the teams like the the Suns that initiate through guys like Booker and KD, who are more perimeter players, Beal as well. I feel like we've got a lot of great answers for that. But those teams that have that size and physicality up front, like whether it's initiating through the post or from the perimeter, I think that one of our weaknesses is teams trying to go through us. And so they're sure. really going to gonna challenge that. And so to what degree do we dictate the terms against them and be like, no, we're not going to give Zion a bunch of space on the perimeter. We're actually going to pressure him. We're going to dig down with Cam Reddish poking at the ball, right? And, yes. and to what degree do you let them dictate the terms versus yourself? I'm always very geared toward the you be the one that, that do that, uh, that, that does that. But I'm super curious to see how we approach that. I. As as am I. I will say, though, that Valanchunas is a much different sort of figure in this idea than like a DeMontis Sabonis oh, or absolutely. a Nikola Jokic, who are who are the primary guys who are like, we'll take it to your chest because we're running the offense through you this way. And Zion 
just isn't tall enough. Right. And and so yeah. it's like AD will still have advantages against Zion from a length and height standpoint that can somewhat neutralize him in his finishing around the basket. Right. Whereas like guys who are like Sabonis is like six nine or whatever, six ten. And so he's got enough height where it's just like if if he collapses your chest a little bit, then he gets off that little jump hook. And it's like he will create the space where that's still a viable shot. I'm more interested in how the Lakers navigate the screen actions that are going to involve Valanchunas and how much, how connected they can stay to BI to allow, to allow AD to still be a paint bound player so that he can help on the glass and still protect all of the way at the basket mm-hmm. because Vanderbilt's ability last season to stay connected to BI and not let him and be physical enough with him where like the screens weren't hitting very cleanly mm-hmm. and he was getting over the top of screens very well. He was able to top lock him in a way where he's not fully top locking. He's like three quarters. And so he's not allowing backdoor stuff where the help has to be all the way there. There's just a lot that Vanderbilt was able to do that I'm not sure if Cam or Prince yeah, can actually do. Yeah, I don't think they're do. tall enough. I think that whole point you were making about Zion versus AD is a similar dynamic with BI in that like BI is very much an over-the-top shooter in, in that he can get to his spot and like you're there, but you're not really there if you're a certain height, right? And by the time he gets it over his head, not a lot of guys are going to bother that. And so having one of the few guys in the league that can foot speed wise, keep up with a guy the size of BI and still bother guys over the top. That's the thing I see with Vando in particular, D, that makes him special is that he can bother these jumbo initiator types over the top in ways that very few people in the league can. And those guys are not used to that, right? It's it's usually like, oh, okay, you beat me to the spot, but fine, I'm just going to raise up over you. And you, if you're big enough to bother me up top, you're usually not quick enough to stay with me. And in terms yeah. of my ball handling ability and and out on the perimeter. And so Vando, to me, I agree with your point that I'm not sure Cam and especially Prince uh, have enough to be able to bother him in that respect. So let's take a break here. Let's uh, talk more about defending Brandon Ingram. I am interested to see how Cam does against him. Cam has done well in staying connected to Kevin Durant for example, but Durant has just shot over the top of him. And Cam is such a good athlete that he then is good at like jumping to contest, but then he's been fouling jump shooters a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Um, He had one last game, I think against Booker as well, where he was just like, yeah, you're going to try to shoot this over the top of me, but I'm going to contest. And then Booker drew a shooting foul. And this is where B.I. doesn't care if you're close to him, he will just pull up and shoot over the top. And he's like, foul me if you want. This thing's getting shot from like seven feet high. It's like a pretty mm-hmm. big. But to me, one of the most difficult parts about defending Ingram is like screen navigation because he has big guard university tools mm-hmm. in. And so he snakes screens, he puts guys in jail, he like then shoulders guys off and then creates separation and shoots fades. And this is why Vanderbilt's strength is so important. And I'm not saying Cam can't do it 
I think Cam's ranginess and his hand-eye coordination and his ability to like poke the ball away yeah. and pester Bi's handle is going to be one like he, he's going to have to win the the ground game. That's right, a little bit. Uh, that's what I was going to bring up. Yep, but I honestly think the coaches are going to have to get to Vando. Yeah, like early in this game and find ways that in the middle portions of the game it's Vando that's in the game against Bi, and I don't know if they're going to do that or not, but I'm hoping that they find a way to find six, seven minutes of Bi's time on the court during the middle portion of the game that it's Vando that's out there to actually defend him. Yeah, amen to that, and I love the the point about winning the ground game. That's something I was going to bring up, and I think that's the place where Cam can actually do that, right? Like one of the things about the taller, lankier ball handlers is their handle is more vulnerable to being attacked, right? Like it just takes longer for the ball to get to the ground when you've got a ball handler with longer arms and a higher center of gravity and Cam's ability to navigate those screens and not get bumped off of his line as much and then attack dribbles, whether it's the back taps from behind or the pressure on the ground. That's something that a lot of teams do that don't have a guy, which is most teams that don't have a guy that can bother a guy up top on a guy like B.I., they just say, okay, we're not even going to worry about that. We're going to put our best on the ground defender on him and try to attack his handle, disrupt his footwork, make sure that he's a little bit twisted up by the time he goes up for the shot. Because once he does raise up for it, it's too late for the vast majority of players in the NBA. And the, But the Lakers do have that luxury of having a guy that can still bother the shot up top in Vando. And so I'm totally with you on getting to that portion of the game where Vando can do that. Now that Trey Murphy is back and Alvarado is back their bench potency in terms of like turning up the pace and being able to play outside of the arc is a thing that the Lakers need to be prepared for um and it's one of the reasons why I think even though Mike didn't frame it this way that the Pelicans are like clearly like raising their profile within the conference it's because like they now have these other wings and perimeter guys who can hurt you and be very good compliments to that to those star players. Um, and Herb Jones shot the ball with great confidence against the Kings as well. And he's one of those guys that the Lakers have typically been happy to be like, go ahead and shoot as much as you want. And so KYP, this is like a KYP game to me, where it's just like, how much do they play into this idea that like they're gonna let Jones shoot, for example, or and how much are they going to track Murphy, who has had some really good shooting games against the Lakers? And how much is Alvarado going to try to turn the tempo of the game and and hit shots and be just a pest defensively? And so and I think Alvarado is a good pivot point here to start to talk about the defense, not because he's the driver of their defense, but just like how the Lakers are going to score against this Pelicans team is also an open question. Yeah, it's, it's funny because they are similar. The Pelicans are in that they're defensive pressure and the pace that that kind of instills the team with really catalyzes their offense. And that's really, when you've watched the Lakers play their best basketball this year, it's almost always been catalyzed by defense in which the offense kind of flows off of that. But there are very few times where it's like, oh, the offense is really cooking right now, right? In terms of uh, in, in the half court that isn't catalyzed by that, that defense. New Orleans is very much the same way. And so I thought you had some interesting points before the pod. Maybe we don't get into it entirely at the end here, but the uh, about our skill guards and kind of their place yeah. on this team. And I think against a team that likes to turn up the intensity defensively on the perimeter, this point is especially true. So I, I'd, I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this. So I'm 
in the starting group, I am super interested to see who New Orleans deploys on who, right? And so one of the things that teams have been trying to do is put bigger players on the Lakers point guards. The Lakers don't have a classic like, oh, I'm a big wing. And so your big wing has to guard my big wing, dude, right? Like LeBron is like that, but he's so strong that if you actually put one of these rangy wings on him, he will then still like get into the pick and roll. He'll shoulder you off. He'll then go into the post and he'll do a lot of bully ball tactic stuff. And the Pelicans start Herb Jones. They start Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum is back now. And so they've been starting CJ McCollum and then they have Zion and, and Valanchunas. And so I'm interested to see if they're going to put like Herb Jones on D'Angelo Russell. And what that could potentially mean for the Lakers offense, right? And then you can put CJ on Prince and then you can put BI on Cam and then Zion's going to have to guard his position. He's like, he's going to have to guard LeBron. Um, and then Valanchunas is, is going to guard AD. And so the idea of the skill guard, to me, the Lakers have become over-dependent on the idea that one of their guards has to be good for them to be competitive in, in a game. And when both the guards are good, the Lakers are going to win. I feel like almost every single time, if D'Lo is good and it's because he's hitting a ton of shots, like I think the Lakers are a really good team. D'Lo can either be good as a shooter or as a passer or both, right? Austin can be good as a scorer which doesn't just involve his shooting, right? And he can impact the game in other ways. He's not the passer that D'Lo is, but he has more moxie and just there's a certain thing that Austin has where that shot that he hit against the Suns, for example, is a like, I have no fear. And LeBron was just like, no, go that way. And so even LeBron's just like, I know he has no fear. Right. Like, let's let's let him commandeer a possession. I wonder if LeBron does that, if it's if Delo's the other guard. Like, I honestly question that that would be the case. That's just a random point. In getting back to this matchup. I think they put Jones on Delo. like they could put Jones on LeBron, but I think they put him on Delo. And, and so how do you think size on the Lakers guards and even ball pressure against the Lakers guards is going to be important because on the bench units, then it's going to be Alvarado who's probably pressuring Austin full court and doing the Pat Bev stuff where it's just like, I'm going to try to be physical with you and bump you and turn you multiple times. And that's a problem for the Lakers offense. Pete. Yeah. It's more the middle of the game where this thing that you're talking about really uh, concerns me in that I think LeBron is the natural antidote to the ball pressure, the rangy type of guys that you want to put on Austin and, and Dito. And that to me is the through line, is that putting athletic size on both Austin and Dilo can give them problems, which is not uncommon for their style yes. of player, right? And so that or for any or for any lead guard. Sure. They, like that's the antidote they all try to do against Tyrese Maxey or Damian Lillard. Yeah, or that's always been Steph, the, like it's right. just it's the same formula. It it is it is. Um, and that said, though, you we will have like a guy like Maxey, for example, can be like, all right, let's get in a foot race. 
right? Yes. You want to put this big guy on me? I'm going to make you run 30 feet before I get the ball. Lakers guards are more susceptible to this that's right. idea. And that's why they're, you know, teens and, uh, you know, th- that's why they're making between 10 and $20 million as opposed to what a guy like Tyrese Max is going to make. 40 billion. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. And so, um, and so to me, having when LeBron is on the court, he's the guy where it's like, OK, you want to do that to our skill guards. We're actually going to use them as off ball guys. And that's why when you're like having Zion guard LeBron, it's like sounds to me like LeBron's the one in that situation. Right. Make yes. Zion guard ball screens, make him be a perimeter defender in that case. And then LeBron is point guard is the point guard in a lot of those. And so um it's more that middle of the game when – and really when LeBron is out, that, that whole phenomenon concerns me. And so in this game in particular, I think there's totally going to be times where it's a guy like Jose Alvarado is not you know the rangy type of guy, but I could totally see his ball pressure bothering Austin, right? Yes, um, me too. And I can't see even in the middle portion of the game your – Herb Jones's and your your Trey Murphy's these bigger Dyson Daniels Dyson Daniels no very much so one of the like I said one of the better deflection guys in the, in the league and so that to me how our guards perform tonight I think is going to be really critical in terms of the outcome of this game I also think too Pete that like we shouldn't ignore the Anthony Davis problem that New Orleans has um, they don't have a guy for him Valanciunas will try to beat him up, but AD has traditionally done well against the Pelicans. And it's because like Zion's a bit too small and he's still not the defensive player that like they would want him to be. And Valanciunas does not have the foot speed, even though he's been better on defense this year. This is a game where I think the Pelicans will really miss Larry Nance. Nance has been like a closing fixture against against the Lakers in games where they've played the Pelicans. And it's because his switchiness and his bounciness around the basket can be more problematic. And so I'll be interested to see how much New Orleans has to go to Zion at center, even when Anthony Davis is in the game. And then the matchups start to change because then Jones probably has to guard LeBron and then B. And then do you want then want B.I. on one of the guards or do you want B.I. as more of a helper and all of this other stuff? But I think that this is still a game where the Lakers ability to get to and pressure the paint is going to be super important, even though I do think like the shooting is going to matter. And the Pelicans are going to like try to turn this into a three point game. I feel like like even with B.I. and Zion managing, it's like the difference has typically been like how many threes does Murphy hit? Does B.I. get hot from the outside? Is this a game where McCollum is making a difference out there? And if it's not, then the game starts to tilt back to what the Lakers do well and does do the Pelicans have enough rim protection to stop LeBron James and Anthony Davis inside? And how do they manage a LeBron AD pick and roll? And if it's to switch, now Valanciunas is on LeBron or Herb Jones or whoever is on Anthony Davis. That's a formula to go inside and work the offensive glass. And I think that this ends up being a bit of a slugfest game. And I am interested to see if the Lakers can leverage their bully ball tendencies against another team that really does try to bully their opponents as well. That's right. And I think whoever succeeds in that is going to win this game. Vegas has uh, the Pelicans as a one and a half point favorite tonight. So in season tournament semifinals tonight, we will be back tomorrow to discuss how it went. But until then, 
You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. And shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.